Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Embracing the inconvenience, study in Christian rescue work. One of my passion points, and you'd see this if you hung around Ellerslie, is I don't just want you to be made strong in your spiritual life. I want you to understand that the strength that we've been given is meant to be spent. And so when you receive strength, it's so that you can give it. And that means we are the ones that are giving our strength all around us. You have resource financially, give it, spend it. You have understanding of the gospel life, Give it, share it, disciple others. In other words, there's a constant giving. If you've been changed by Jesus, go and change someone else for the purposes of Jesus, to know Jesus. It's called evangelism. We go, we do, we share, we give. So in a sense, I call it rescue work. It's not just self-preservation. You know, we can train our kids to handle a little pocket knife and somehow stay alive in a wilderness. But I'm interested not just in our, in our children growing up to somehow survive in a wilderness, survive in this world. I want them to be trained to change it. I want them to go into this world and not just be able to save their own skin, but save other skins. That's what I'm interested in seeing the church built up to, is that we are a bunch of rescuers. As I gave a message, I think a couple of years ago, called the Band of Rescuers. That's what we are. We have banded together for the purpose of seeing this world rescued. So look at that. It's just a three-part series. Isn't that exciting? For baby Nika, who you have not been introduced to yet, but you'll understand why I'm dedicated to baby Nika. For baby Nika and all those other hurting little ones labeled as the inconvenient, we, the body of Christ, pledge to you our blankets. For those of you that God has been pressing this issue of turning outward and making yourself vulnerable to different rescue opportunities around you, you'll identify with this message. You see, every single one of us in here as Christians are the place that the Spirit of God is going to go. We are the ones that God is turning to to do the rescue work. He's not just turning to some aid organization out there. He's turning to Christians. And when he sees a need and that child or that widow, they call on the living God, he comes to his body and he says, you, you are my hands and my feet. Session one. Would you give him your blanket? Understanding the difference between our thoughts and God's thoughts. In the history of the Chinese church, there's some great stories that have come out of the church in the underground. And, you know, it used to, and I don't know exactly what the climate is at this exact state, but when you would go forth as a Chinese citizen and share the gospel, you're risking your life. And many times you could actually be imprisoned for it and suffer greatly. Many people have died for the sake of the gospel in China. And so there's a story of two men who are thrown into the prison in China, and they're on a dank, cold floor. It's miserable. There's nothing pleasant about it. It's uh, approaching winter, and so there's, it's cold. And all they've both been given is a thin blanket. 
and they're sitting next to each other in the stocks or in the chains on this cold floor, and their bodies are slowly freezing over. And one of them has a thought, and that is, if that were Jesus Christ next to you, would you give him your blanket? Could you imagine if all you had was a thin blanket? And you could say, he has his own blanket, he's fine. What if that was Jesus Christ sitting next to you? And so just put yourself in that prison cell as we start out this message. If that was Jesus Christ sitting next to you, and you knew he was cold, and you knew you had something to give, even though in giving it, you would become even colder, would you give it? Well, this Chinese man thought it through, and he thought, Jesus gave everything for me so that I could have life. The reason I have such joy even in this situation is because of him. If I had the privilege of removing a blanket from around my shoulders, even though I'd die in the process of doing it, absolutely I would. And he removed the thin blanket from around his shoulders and put it on the shoulders of the man next to him. Uh, That's the sort of message we're talking about. It's a message that touches us a little deeper than most of us want to be touched. It asks for our blanket. You see, some of us in here don't have a lot to give, and yet God says, would you consider giving up that blanket? The truth point. So with each one of these messages, I'm going to have a truth point, and here's the truth point for this message. The life of Christ is always aimed purposely and aggressively toward the lowest, most humble, and inconvenient place, and so must we purposely and aggressively aim our lives in this direction. And then with each message, I have key ideas. In this message, the key ideas are the upside-down kingdom and the behavior of living water. So let's look at the first key idea, the upside-down kingdom. I don't know if you've ever heard Christianity described this way, but I grew up with this mentality when I was understanding Christianity. It was always called the upside-down kingdom. And it actually makes a lot of sense to me, but I don't know that I've ever said it out loud here at Ellerslie, that everything in God's kingdom is other. His name is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He's other than, other than, other than. He's not like this world. He's not like this world. He's really not like this world. So if you were to take a visit to the kingdom of heaven, you would recognize that it's opposite the way we work here. Here we're selfish. We're base. We are all about flesh. In heaven, it's otherness. It's humility. It's a givenness to that which is around it. It is selfless. And so when you begin to understand that God's kingdom is other, it's, we can understand the upside-down kingdom. I don't know if you've ever studied the word absurd. I'm not gonna, this isn't a study in the word absurd, but it is a, an interesting word. Don't you think absurd? Don't you just want to say it? Even as I'm saying it, you just want to mutter it absurd. It's a fun word. It's one of those words that has a cartoon value to it. Like it, some words are just not pretty. I'm not saying this is pretty, but this is cartoonish, okay? That would be the, the, the way I would describe it. Absurd means wildly unreasonable, preposterous, and laughable. What I am about to present to you today is absurd. So you might as well just accept it from the very beginning. It's called Christianity. And in the natural realm, the earthen realm in which we live, the things that we are called to do are absolutely absurd to the world around us. They are wildly unreasonable, preposterous, and laughable. No one in their right mind would ever do it. Mm -hmm. Who in their right mind would ever remove the thin blanket from around their shoulders and stick it around the man next to them in prison, knowing very well that they may freeze to death in the process? Who would do that? Uh, We would. It's called Christianity, and I need 
you to understand from the very beginning that what we are called to do does not necessarily make sense with your natural mind. I want you to understand that Christianity invites you to have a new mind. It's called the mind of Christ. You begin to think the way Christ would think. What Christ did by leaving his high and holy position and coming and becoming a worm and no man on this earth and washing our feet, giving up his life to serve us, is absurd. It is. And the gospel hinges on that absurdity. If God is not other than this world, we die. If God is like this world, we're dead. We have no hope, but God is not like this world. And he gave himself in the most absurd fashion to wash our feet and to rescue us. And he's called us to an absurd life. So the absurd behavior of heaven. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, look, the way you think is not the way I think. The way you would live is not the way I live. You are off kilter. You are not as you ought to be. It's called unrighteousness. Righteousness is the way God is and the way we ought to be, but we are not righteous. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. We are not like God. So therefore, it is an accurate statement to say God is not like us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And in a message like this, you're going to recognize that there is something about it that challenges the core of our being There's a work of grace in you that has even brought you to a place like this. So as I speak, you're going to recognize the truth when you hear it. It's like, I know that's true. But then there's a reticence within you that says, it can't be true for the guy next to me and not for me. Christianity is for all of us. Practically, it must be lived, not just mentally esteemed, but it must get down to the grassroots level of our life and start a fire. The upside-down kingdom. So the last shall be first, and the first last. That's the upside-down kingdom right there. That's that's not the way it works here on earth. Well, look at this list. The first is the last. The last is the first. The lowest is the highest. Think, Think about this. Jesus is the highest in the heavenly realms. And so to prove his highest state and truly how the high in heaven works, when he comes to this earth, what does he do? He takes the lowest position. What? You see, in heaven, the lowest position is the highest. What? It's called the upside-down kingdom. The greatest is the least. The least is the greatest. The poor is the priority. The priority is the poor. The poor are a pain in the neck. If we could just eliminate the poor, life would be so much easier. No, 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 God says. The poor are your priority. The poor are the problem in society. No, no. The poor are your priority. The inconvenience is privilege. The privilege is the inconvenient. I don't know how many of you look at the concept of inconvenience as a privilege. It's like, oh, good, some inconvenience. We look at inconvenience as as what? Inconvenient. You see, the idea of inconvenience itself is backwards to us. We are interested in a life that is not blurred or hazarded or hindered or harassed by anything. We want our peace. We want to be left alone. We just want to live a comfortable existence absent of any noise, any difficulty. Boy, I just described your inner life, didn't I? See, that's the way we all are down here on this earth. God deliberately chose difficulty. Why would he do that? 
He chose the life that he came to live down here. He knew what he was getting himself into. He knew exactly what he was signing up for. Do we? Do we understand that when we come to the kingdom of heaven, when we come unto Jesus Christ, we are literally counting a cost and recognizing we're going to go against the grain of this world. We are no longer congruent with it. Now we're against it. We're going upstream. Everything is coming against us. Do we understand that even coming to Jesus is an inconvenience, if you want to look at it that way? And as a result, in the rational, natural mind, you'd never do it. Why would I do that? The cross is a symbol of death. And that's where we run? Uh, People die when they go to that? And that's where we go? Yeah, that's the place of rescue. You see, the place of death to everyone in the world is our place of rescue and place of hope. We think opposite. Just accept that and allow that full changeover, the reformation of your thinking to take place. (laughs) The principle of the crowd. The cool kids, the uncool kids. If you went through public school, you know that there's a differentiation. There's the cool kids and the, cool, the kid, the group that you want to be in. And then there's that other group. And you don't want to tag them or name them. You just feel it. It's all over. You, you know it. Without anyone even speaking, you know if you're in or you're not. You know what Christianity is? Christianity is coming, seeing two groups, the cool and the uncool, choosing the uncool. Choosing? That's what I said, choosing the uncool. Where's God going? He's going to the uncool ones. You know, my sister, I used to make fun of my sister when she was in high school. She went through a public high school. And she was, she messed up everything that was supposed to be done for social success. Every single thing she did, wrong. All she cared about was Jesus Christ. Oh, because I was three, four years younger. And so when she was graduating, I was coming into high school and I had to, follow in her footsteps, and all these teachers are like, you're not anything like your sister. I'm like, thank you. Actually, that wasn't a compliment. You see, I was brash, noisy, comedic, and my sister was quiet, selfless, servant-hearted. You know who her friends were? The foreign students, the special needs kids. She hung out with them. That's who she ate her lunch with. Chrissy, don't do this to me. I have a reputation And she said, and I have a ministry. My sister knew why she was here on earth. Cool kids, uncool kids. You pick. Where's God going? He's going the uncool route. Choosing friends wisely. Turning the popularity game on its head. You know how parents are always saying that? Choose your friends wisely. Well, how about for us? Choose our friends wisely. Where are we going in this earth? Who are we spending our time with? Who we spend our time with defines a lot about who we are and how we behave and how we think. This is one of my favorite quotes. I used it in the message, The East End. But William Booth is introducing his eldest son. I think his son was around 11 at the time. Might have even been nine. But it was somewhere nine to 11. He is introducing Bromwell, his eldest son, to the East End of London. And he takes him into a bar. And I mean, this is such a bizarre thought to think of bringing Hudson into such a place. And he's looking around. These people are destitute. They have nothing. Their only hope is to have enough money to buy another around in the bar, just to somehow quell and dissipate their concerns, their anxieties, their fears, their depression. That's all they have. And William Booth takes his son in and shows him, and his son is shocked by the destitution, the depravity around him. He he didn't grow up around this. And, And William Booth says, 
Bromwell, these are our people, the people I want you to live for. But dad, these are not just the uncool kids. These are the uncouth kids. These are the ones that I innately sense I'm supposed to stay away from. I'm not supposed to go near. And yet, where does Jesus go? Jesus goes to the East End. Jesus is attracted to this group, to this group that we know in the culture is not right. There's the West End of London, there's the East End. The West End, just a mile away from the East End, is probably the wealthiest place on earth in the time of the beginnings of the Salvation Army. One of the wealthiest places on earth. The East End, possibly one of the most destitute places on earth. Within a mile of each other. West Enders don't talk with East Enders. They do not associate. So you show up at London, you're looking for a little real estate investment. You're looking to settle down and move your family in. Where are you going to pick? West End or East End? Uh, I don't even think you want me to keep going in that, do you? I don't know that I want to keep talking. You see, we know where Jesus went. He went east. Why did he do that? The story of Nika. So this past week, Annie is down in, uh, Annie Weshi, who's one of our key staff members at Ellerslie, uh, the one that designed Set Apart Girl magazine, for instance, is down in Haiti. She's been down there with Harda Artsma for over two years now. And they have our two kids. We have two kids in Haiti. Their names are Lily and Reese. And we've had a very difficult time going through the adoption process and getting them home. And so they're still down there. Annie originally signed up for this saying, I'll go down there. We thought it was going to be around five months to get them home. And so she's still down there. And it's been quite the, the process. But it's amazing how God has used it. Even in this message that I'm going to share with you, this is because they are down there. So Annie wrote our family, our kids specifically, an email about a little baby named Nika. Herida, Lily, Reese, and I wanted to introduce you to our precious new friend, Nika. She's the newest little addition here at Danita's Children, and we all have become quite taken with her. She is one year old, but her body is the size of a newborn, a skinny one at that. She has something called hydrocephalus, which means she has too much water in her brain, and her head grows bigger to hold all that water. Her Haitian mommy chose not to feed her and left her mostly on the floor until Sarah, one of the missionaries here, found her and brought her to Danita's, and now she's one of the kids here. Yesterday, we got to care for her for several hours, and all of us felt our hearts getting bigger as we held her, prayed over her, sang to her, and gave her lots of kisses on her head. We thought we would send you these photos of little Nika, and you could pray for her with us. She is going to Port-au-Prince today with Sarah to see the doctors there. She really needs a surgery to help her head and get some of the water out, but her body is so tiny that she's not yet strong enough for an operation. So we need to pray she drinks lots of milk, gives lots of wet and poopy diapers, and grows big and strong. For mommy and daddy and Nana's reference, this, one, this little one is only eating 20 milliliters every four hours, which is up from seven milliliters when she arrived last week starving to death. We need to pray this kiddo can pack on the pounds. Lots of people say she's not going to make it, but we know that our God has power to heal and save. He's the great rescuer and loves Nika so much. Want to pray with us, each, want to pray with us for her each day this week and maybe next two while she's at the doctor's? You could even share her story with your friends and have them pray for her too. So this email was read in the Ludi home earlier in the week. And, 
you know, there's, it's been precious having Annie and Harta down there because you get a slice of life that you don't get by living in suburbia, USA. We don't have hydrocephalus babies just sort of sitting around and we don't know about them here. And yet when you have this connection, you sort of realize this is God's heart and he's saying, church, there's a little baby that I care deeply about. And she has gone through a very rough go in her one year of life. And I would like you as a church to adopt her. I would like you to care about her. I would like you to choose to be inconvenient if necessary, inconvenienced if necessary, to care for this little one. Hudson, Harper, Dub, and Abby, these are our people, the people I want you to live for. You see, Nika, these are the people I want you to live for. This is what we're here for. So here are a couple pictures. She actually sent quite a few, but hydrocephalus increases the size. A lot of water gets uh, in the head, and so you can see her little body. It's the size of a little newborn body, uh, and yet her head uh, is desperately needing to have that water released. She is very close to death, not just because she was starving, but because of the hydrocephalus. And it's a very Haitian uh, sort of problem, and not something that we're very familiar with here in America, but in Haiti, we've seen a lot of this. And you know what happens when a hydrocephalus, when a, when a baby gets hydrocephalus is they lose cuteness. And as a result, we, especially Americans, we're really funny and finicky uh, towards helping kids depending on their cuteness. You know that most of the things that are inconvenient in life aren't cute? Most of the things that Jesus came to serve and help were not cute. Praise God that babies are cute. It makes it that much easier because babies are hard work. But when a child gets hydrocephalus, it immediately, it's not only inconvenient already being a baby that is not wanted in Haiti, but then a hydrocephalus baby, you know what? Those are the lowest on the totem pole. Why? Because they're most likely going to die. They're going to be extreme expense for medical costs, and they're not cute. And so as a result, we have a tendency to gravitate away from them instead of towards them. And what I would like deliberately to do as a church is to be attracted, to choose to be attracted and find beautiful that which Jesus Christ finds beautiful. So this is a continuation uh, from Annie's email. You would love her so much if you could meet her. She has the cutest little face and Reese loves to play with her wee little hands. Hudson, you'll probably recognize the blankie she's in too. When she came to Danita's children, they didn't even have any cozy warm blankets for her. I mean, it's Haiti. It's over 100 degrees, and yet she is freezing because her body does not have the nutrients. Even though it is really hot in Haiti, Nika is usually cold because she's so sick. We were so excited that we could share the one you gave Reese. Reese decided to give it to her to help keep her cozy, and he has such a tender heart like his big brother. Reese has another blanket that isn't as warm, but knew she needed to stay warm and gave up this blanket. Lily then gave hers too, that she wouldn't run out of warm, cozy blankets. Isn't it wonderful to know that your present has blessed your brother and sister, and now Nika too? Daddy, this is the question that immediately followed. Why don't we adopt Nika? Now, if you knew the complexities of what I've gone through in my life over the past two and a half years in regards to adopting two children out of Haiti, you would understand if Daddy said no. You would. You'd actually be very sensitive. Don't ask Eric that right now. This is not the time to bring that up. Don't talk about adopting more kids. Because what Eric could say is, you know what? 
we're going to get these two home, and then maybe in a few years, we can broach such a subject. And yet, I have chosen in the depths of my heart, even though there's a war that rages there, to keep the door to my home open. And when my children asked that, it was a funny reaction, and I'm sure many of you, if you had your children right now, in fact, many, some of them might be nudging you and say, hey, if he doesn't adopt them, we could adopt her. Okay, and you're, you could be thinking the same thing. You see, there's a war within us. It's the war of inconvenience. This doesn't fit into my life. This isn't what I had planned. The gospel life is not a convenient life. It is a life fully given to Jesus Christ. And usually before we hear something like this, you know what God has already done? He's unlatched the door. And we try and act like it's locked, but it's not. And we know it. The Spirit of God has already been prepping us for this. We just don't want to admit it. And so the answer needs to be, if this is what God is leading, absolutely. AKA, Daddy, what about your blanket? What if Nika was Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to give your blanket to Nika? Reese and Lily are giving their blankets. Daddy, are you willing to give your blanket to Nika? <laughs> I mean, this is, it's complicated. Is it complicated or is it an issue of willingness? It doesn't mean that God wants me to adopt Nika. It's an issue of willingness. It's the same thing for all of us. I want every single one of us in here to be willing to adopt Nika. That's the starting point for us as a church. I'm not saying you need to or that you're supposed to. I'm saying I want us to be willing to because the willingness is where God can work. And it might not be with Nika, but imagine if every single one of us in here was ready and saying, yes, I will, I'm willing. Well, Nika can't be adopted by everyone. In fact, I don't even know if she's adoptable. She's not even in a Koresh. I have no idea if she's even, it's even plausible. That isn't the point. The point is, if there's a need, would you be willing to step up and say, I'll help. Key idea number two, the behavior of living water. Observing water, it seems bent on going low, taking the position at the very bottom of every room it enters. You ever notice that with water? It always goes down. It always goes to the low spot. The amazing thing is the Holy Spirit is living water. Jesus Christ himself even refers to the fact that he has living water. He has access to living water. He is, in a sense, living water. He is the rock in that wilderness out of which flows living water. So this living water is the life of God. And when the life of God comes to this earth, where does it go? Like water, it goes to the lowest place. It goes to the east end. It goes to the hydrocephalus baby. That's where water goes. So the principle of living water. Now, I'm, I'm adding a word living, an adjective to the water, because that's the sort of water that God is. Okay, he's not just water. It's not stagnant water. It's living water. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, or innermost, shall flow rivers of living water. So if water is in you, because you've come to Jesus Christ, he sticks his water in you, his Holy Spirit dwells in you. And then, as a result, what does Jesus say? Hey, if someone's believing upon me, they have living water, just as Jesus had living water in him. And where does that water go? It goes to the lowest place. And so if it's going to flow out of you, where's it going to go? Where are these, this love, this compassion, this mercy, this strength, this boldness, this courage, where is it going to go? It's going to go to the low place. It's going to go to the Nikas. Living water flows to the lowest place. Humility. Like water, it is always drawn to the lowest place. So the concept of the living water and the behavior of water is just nothing more than humility. And what keeps us from driving the fiat? 
What keeps us from sitting at the table in the lunchroom with the uncool kids? It's pride. But God is working a new life within us, a new thinking pattern, a new processing pattern. So that when we come into a room, we don't care what the cool kids think. We want to serve Jesus. We want to bring glory to Jesus. We don't care if they mock us. This is where Christ's heart is, and this is where I'm going. If you start reaching out to the meek, because there's going to be a lot of concerned people in your life. Uh, are you sure about this? Uh, uh, that, that's absurd. You see, you shouldn't use your resources on something like that. Nika most likely isn't going to survive. You see, you need to think these things through. You could end up putting a lot of time, energy, and resources into something that might not pan out. Might not pan out. Just simple love is something that pans out. You see, when I go and I love, it'll not return void. You see, that love is a testimony of God in a hate-filled world. And I want to choose to be the vessel not based on what happens in the natural realm, but based on the fact that my actions itself reveal the glory of God. Luke 14, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Heroism, the act of Christian humility, recognizing that you have water to send forth into the low trough, and deliberately choosing to open the spigot and send forth your strength unto the weak. You know that humility in the Hebrew actually means upon your face. It also means the very bottom of a river bed. It's the very bottom part. It's where water goes. So that even the mental picture is that of which is the holding place of the low. That's where the water goes. That's where we go. We go to the lowest spot in the trough. And heroism is the willingness to forsake all other concerns and to go to that low place in the trough. It needs something. It has to have a movement of soul to go in that direction because it's not natural for us to stand in, the, in front of a, in a bullet that's flying towards someone who's weak. No one would do that, but that's heroism. Hero work is the work that gives of itself, risks everything to stand for someone else. It stands in the gap and takes a blow. Who was the ultimate hero? Jesus Christ. That bullet was headed straight for us, the bride, and he stood in front and took it for us. Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not for only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking, on the, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Are you willing to humble yourself and become obedient unto Anika? Are you willing to humble yourself and become obedient unto the uncool table in the lunchroom? Are you willing to humble yourself? Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death even the most horrifying death, the death of the cross. This is our template. This is the one who we are clothed in, and this is the one whose life we are clothing for. He 
lives inside of us. And if he's going to be living, pushing, moving us in a direction, where is he going to take us? He's going to take us in the same path. It's called the way. That's the way he takes us too. This is the life of Christ. This is the otherly behavior of heaven. It's upside down, yes. But in heaven, it's right side up and it makes total sense. Inconvenience. The opportunity that begs for the spigot to open. So a spigot is, you know, like on the outside of your house, you hook up the hose to it. You turn it on and it has water in it. We have a spigot. We have living water that we've been given. Inconvenience is the ultimate opportunity for us to open the spigot and let the living water come. Oh, it's inconvenient. Perfect. And you open it up and you let the living water come out. Humility plus heroism plus inconvenience. Oh, you got the perfect mathematical equation for what? Christianity in action. You see, what we need is humility. Otherwise, we're not in action. You see, if we're proud, we're going to miss every opportunity. Heroism, you have to be willing to go into that difficult place. Inconvenience, well, that's something that God needs to create. However, when he does, we get excited. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, as much as you have done it unto Nika, you have done it unto me. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, this is Paul speaking, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. They're going to be sent out as missionaries, sent out to share the gospel with the, with the Gentiles. And there's one little caveat, and they, and they unto the circumcision. They desired only that we should remember the Nikas, that we should remember the poor. Oh, and when you go, always go to the low spot. And when you go, make sure you go to the uncool. And when you go, go to the east end. Those are our people. Those are the people that Jesus is sending us forth to. Don't forget them. The very thing, says Paul, which I also was eager to do. So as we're navigating through this message, I want you to allow attention to be created, and I do not want you to dismiss it. I do not want you to try and escape from it. I want you to allow the Spirit of God to make you willing. Have you ever had it where it's like, God, I'm, I'm unwilling, uh, and I'm not exactly sure if I'm willing to be willing. And yet, I would say, probably every single one of us in here is willing to be made willing. We're just scared of what that means. And so what I would like for all of us as we're progressing through this is basically the simple prayer. God, make me willing to be willing. I know that's the equivalent of being willing because he will make you willing. However, let him do that work in you where you actually consider it an opportunity instead of an inconvenience. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.